Welcome to another episode of our Think Differently and Deeply podcast series. My name is Glenn Whitman, and I direct the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School. This series features authors from the upcoming volume of the CTTL's internationally recognized publication, Think Differently and Deeply, which has been distributed to over 10,000 teachers, school leaders, and policymakers worldwide, and that focuses on translating mind, brain, and education science research into the classroom. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to my colleague and first grade teacher, Sung Hee Kim, who did a wonderful project with first graders that I, by accident, walked into, but it led to a great discussion that we had and my desire for her to first write an article about it, and second, to have this conversation with her today. Welcome, Sung Hee. Thank you, Glenn. It's great to be here. Tell me about the exercise you did with your first graders last year that I happened to come upon as I was walking the halls and engaging with some of your colleagues on the lower school campus. So the way it started was that last year I ordered these white stones online because I wanted to write inspirational words on them and create something like a Zen garden in our classroom. But when I received the stones, they were much bigger than I expected. Each stone was almost the size of my fist. And I I couldn't use them (laughs) in the way that I planned. So they just sat there in the box um, next to my desk for the next few months. Um, Then late in December, and it was soon after we had finished holding our ally week at the lower school, um, it was a time when things were kind of hectic with the holidays coming and (laughs) the kids, you know, focus is not as good. I wanted to try something different. So I looked at the stones and decided I would take one and explore what I could do with it, with the kids. So the next day I showed my class the stone. I told them that everyone would have a turn holding the stone. I said they could touch it smell it, interact with it, and hold it for as long as they wanted to. But they could not throw it, and they were not allowed to talk. Seems like a fair request for a first (laughs) grader, right? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. No, that's important to say that. (laughs) So um, the children were, um, they were enthralled because the whole thing was so mysterious. They touched the stone, and some smelled it, and then there were some giggles. Uh, But they passed it pretty quietly from one person to the next until everyone had a turn. And then I told them to ask questions about the stone. So, and I waited. After a while, one child, one brave child said, well, what are we gonna do with the stone? And I didn't answer that question, because honestly, I, I didn't know either what we were gonna do with the stone. But I acknowledged it by taking a big marker and writing the question down on a large piece of chart paper. And then the questions started coming, one by one. They said, where did it come from? How did it get here? What are we going to name it? And soon I had to write more on another chart paper. And then the questions kind of slowed down and I knew I had to keep this momentum going because I knew these questions were valuable, but I still wasn't sure where we were going. So I let the students guide me. The children are very wise, so often I just kind of let them take it. So I asked them, why are we asking questions about the stone? And immediately they had answers. They said, so we can know more about it and be more comfortable around it, so we understand it. And then a child said, asking questions is like a key that helps us learn. And that's when it dawned on me that this was turning into something of an exercise showing the value of asking questions. But I felt like there was something more here, so I asked them another question. Well, how did touching, feeling, and observing the stone help us ask questions about it? And they said, Well, seeing it, touching it, feeling it helped us know what to ask, 
And that's when I suddenly realized that this was about how knowledge is made. So essentially what the students were telling me was that by interacting with the stone, they made knowledge about it. When they saw, touched, and smelled the stone, they collected new information about it. Sure. And then this new information, combined with the knowledge they already had, for instance, you know, then when they walked in in the morning, they already had the concept of smoothness right. in their brains, right? So they combined that together, and that helped them to identify and create the knowledge that this stone is smooth. So then that's when I realized that the questions the students were asking were not just an indication of learning, but also a product of learning in themselves. And that's how we came up with the term knowledge maker. I told them that when you ask these questions, you're being a knowledge maker, someone who actively creates their own learning. And the students were really excited to all be knowledge makers. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine so. I'm thinking about our work together as colleagues over the years, and, and I've, I've always loved how you've embraced the research around mind-brain education science and thought about it in creative ways with your instructional practice. So, you know, you sort of mentioned it a little as you were going on, but I'd love to know where you see MBE in this exercise. Yeah, I mean, some of it definitely kind of happened on the fly, <laughs> but there's, I think the most important thing was very intentional. And I think that's the overarching principle was to minimize classroom threats. This kind of exercise I think is best done in an environment where students feel comfortable taking chances. Uh, and we create such a place through social emotional learning, which begins the moment students walk into class on the first day of school. So, you know, as you know, we're very much a responsive classroom-based school. Right. So the philosophies of empathy, empowerment, agency, collaboration, and self-control figure into everything we do. It was very intentional. This whole exercise was very highly met metacognitive. Right. Um, there are many stages of it during this exercise, starting with even the first question. When I asked them, what questions do you have about, you know, the stone? I made them reflect on their thinking about the stone. And then when I asked, why are we asking questions about the stone? You know, they had to reflect back on their thinking sure, sure. about question asking. Right. So you're a veteran teacher. How, how many years you've been teaching in total? So, sorry to make a count. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is my ninth year. Ninth year. So, you know, I, I, I think maybe listeners might think not much might surprise Sunghee as a veteran teacher, but, you know, you shared some really interesting observations from the exercise. And I'm just curious, did anything really surprise you from the students' initial reactions or questions or just uh, as you uh, think back and reflect on this experience? Well, you know, I think what always surprises me, though it shouldn't, um, <laughs> is you know, the seven, six, seven-year-olds are capable of great wisdom, and they have insights that are just brilliant. Um, and the fact that they're able to self-lead. So when a lot of times when I don't know where this is going, I kind of throw that question back at them, and then they kind of guide it that way. When, like I said, when there's multiple learning paths, I let them guide where they want to go, a lot of times through interest or, um, you know, ideas that come into their brains. And they're really good ones. So I think it's, it's not just me leading them, but me kind of facilitating while they lead. So, so that's, those are the types of things that I think really always surprise me um, and make me very happy. Um, another thing I want to say is that when uh, we had just had our ally week, when we you know, had this whole conversation about the stone, and then when we we're 
talking about being a knowledge maker versus a knowledge receiver. And knowledge receivers are those who learn mostly by observing and listening. One of my students made a connection to Ally Week and blurted out, well, that's like being a bystander, (laughs) which that was amazing, you know? And then all the kids afterwards said, don't be a bystander in your learning. So I thought that was I thought that was really that's, cool. That's fantastic. Now I, just, I think you said the the, uh, the exercise took place in December. Is that yes. Correct? So you, you had more than half the year uh, still ahead of you guys. Um, so I'm just curious. You know, I I think all of us teachers. I teach history, and you teach uh, certainly uh, history in first grade, but but many more subjects than I do actually. Um, we always want our students to be able to connect prior knowledge, new knowledge to new experiences. So how did you see students maybe apply the lessons from this exercise to other activities or projects uh, during the remainder of the school year? Well, I think it really changed their mindset towards learning. It affected everything we looked at, everything that we learned for the rest of the year. Um, We had arrived at this term, knowledge maker. I mean, we practically invented that term together. (laughs) You you should probably trademark it and make a lot of money. I'm thinking about that. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) So those words took on a really deep meaning for us. And we use that term throughout the year to remind ourselves to be knowledge makers. And also, now that we were more self-aware of how to acquire knowledge, we could be more intentional about making knowledge. And so, you know, through this exercise, the entire class had complete buy-in about being a knowledge maker. And it became a permanent goal that we're all continuously striving towards. Um, Asking questions also took on a new meaning. Right. So having gone through this exercise showed how asking questions was a direct route to active learning. So asking thoughtful questions became synonymous with being a knowledge maker. And kids would compliment each other. If someone had a really great share, they'd say, oh, so-and-so is being a knowledge maker. Um, so, you know, it was, it really kind of carried through the whole year. It empowered them as learners. Right. Can you talk more about how getting the right emotional and social climate and culture lends itself to being able to challenge and create a rigorous program for your first graders? You sort of alluded to it a little earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the the most important thing that we as teachers can do is to create a knowledge-making environment. Sure. And I, I really think it begins with uh, social-emotional learning. And, and that's really the foundation on which it's built. So it begins with, in the first grade, it begins with building community. And that's supported by relationships that we have with each other right. through mutual respect, um, self-control, self-advocacy. But most of all, I would say it's empathy. That's really the cornerstone of it all. And so in this exercise, for instance, to for the children to brainstorm freely and to put forth any ideas freely. And that's not just for these children, but in any organization. You know, the people have to feel safe. And so this environment of feeling safe has to be in place before this kind of activity could happen. And, and, I, you know, and I think the kids were in that place, which is why they were able to do what they were able to do. But it also needed to be maintained during the exercise. So for instance, each time when a question came up, that, that question had to be affirmed. And all the questions have to be affirmed equally. So the rule is that there's no bad questions. And every question is kind of like a a spark that generates the next question. So 
I mean, think about it, because if a question is challenged or judged by the teacher or, you know, the other kids laugh at it, then afterwards, we're not going to have any more questions because people will be afraid to put out their ideas, right? Absolutely. The one thing that really interests me about this project is the multi-sensory nature of this project. We, we know from research, multiple modality instruction, multiple sensory instruction is really critical. So th this is a little off-the-cuff question, um, but there's an element to this experience with the rock that, I, that I'm really intrigued about, and it's the ability to touch something, right? I mean, most of our students, they, they, they listen, right? They see, but sort of that touching moment um, it doesn't exist. You know, what did that look like uh, as kids were manipulating this rock? And, you know, um, it certainly was novel for them. They, you know, I don't think yeah. you do it every day, right? Yes. So what, what was that What element of, of teaching, this multi-sensory approach to teaching um, did you observe, especially with the touching of the rock? I, I just wish I was there that moment when the kids were playing with the rock. Well, it became like this precious time that they had each had with the stone. And like I said, it was, you know, late December, not usually a time when the kids have their best focus because, you know, they're <laughs> thinking enough. of Christmas presents and all that. And but they were completely captivated by this activity. And it was just a stone, but presented this way, it had a mystery of, you know, this aura of mystery around it. And they had no idea where I was going with it. I'm sure they thought I had some brilliant plan, which I didn't at the time. But <laughs> But you didn't tell them, right? No, I okay. didn't. No, no, no. I acted like, you know, I, I knew. You were the pro, you knew it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, <laughs> confidence is important. So um, but they, they, were, they were really engaged. They were completely engaged. And like I said, I told them, you are not allowed to talk. And no one talked. No one talked. And they did exactly as they were asked. And, you know, I said you could hold the stone for as long as possible. But they all held it a reasonable amount of time and passed it on. Because nobody did anything else with it. They, they, all, they were all on board with this because they were all excited where it would lead next. My next question is, is sort of what advice is teachers who are listening to this extend to them for developing their own, whether it's rock exercise experience or metacognitive moment, knowing that you've said a couple things that might be a little bit scary. You said you at times during this experience did not know where this lesson was going, that you would let the students guide you and um, and that you at moments didn't really have a real plan for this. So what, what advice would you give teachers when, when an opportunity like this, their rock exercise moment emerges in their class? Yeah, I would say that, you know, you, you got to be easy on yourself. <laughs> um, you know, we as teachers, we need to feel safe too. So, um, you know, it's not just about creating a safe environment for the students. You have to do it for yourself as well. And you have to allow yourself to fail and try things that may or may not work. So, I, I mean, I'm lucky that I work in a place that empowers teachers sure. to try new things, you know, think outside the box. I don't have to worry that, um, you know, someone's going to walk by and look into the classroom and say, why were you talking about a sto stone all morning, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so, but additionally, I think it's also really important to let go of control sometimes and let the students lead. Um, and have faith in their abilities. And sometimes run with it, even though you're not sure where we're all going. And I think that really the key factor is kind of learning when to let go and just facilitate, and then when to step in and guide. I think that's really the key factor. 
absolutely. And uh, I, I think for some teachers that would be brave, but uh, I, I think you've given a good model for them to try to replicate. I, I want to thank Sung Hee for her time this afternoon. Um, I want to encourage everybody to read her article in the upcoming edition of Think Differently and Deeply. Um, I really... I'm sort of jealous that I didn't have you as a first grade teacher. Uh, the opportunity for a guy like me to play with rocks um, and to think deeply about them might have allowed me to be a more successful first grader. So oh. thanks, Sunghee, for all you do every day. And thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Glenn. Awesome. Take care. <laughs> At St. Andrews, we often end our classes with some form of exit ticket or active retrieval of information that was a focal point of the day's class. So in that research-informed spirit, here is your exit ticket for this podcast. How is a teacher or parent who listened to Sung Hee's story, might you bring questioning, metacognition, or your own rock activity to your class, home, or work with a student? Tweet your answer to at the CTTL. We look forward to seeing what you come up with. The Think Differently and Deeply podcast is a production of the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Potomac, Maryland, where the mission is to know and inspire each child in an inclusive community dedicated to exceptional teaching, learning, and service. Each podcast is produced by Kirsten Peterson and mixed by Jordan Yachts. Jordan also composed our theme music, which we lovingly call The Growth Mindset.